There has been a shift in the world of quilting over the last decade or so, because at one time when we heard the name Fawns, we automatically thought of the wonderful duo of Fawns and Porter and the incredible history of content they brought to the quilting world. I certainly appreciate that legacy. And as Marianne Fawns eased out of the limelight years ago, we quickly fell in love with her daughter. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday quilters to share their tips, tricks, and adventures and day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Mislowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. We have Mary Fawns in the Zoom room today, and I am so excited. I have followed Mary, I don't know, forever, and I've been delighted by her personality, her demeanor, and her content again and again. She has been a celebrated quilter, a TV host, a writer, magazine editor, lecturer, and so much more. She creates original, raw, engaging content across all media, which is astonishing because social media changes every single day. So I can't wait to share the best bits of her story with you. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate you asking me. And I, I think it is so cool that you were, are, maybe forever will be, you know, a firefighter. Like that is just, um, it's amazing. It's so cool. Quilters are the coolest people ever. And I just, that part of your story, it's just remarkable and wonderful. I think, oh. I think you're so cool. <laughs> well, thank you. It is such a big part of my story. And it is the yeah. reason I got into quilting to ease my troubles. So now I always love to take a little look back. I'm going to get to that question. Everyone asks you, I'm going to get it right out of the way because everyone wants to know, we imagine you rolling around in quilts as a kid or sitting in a large bin of buttons. What was it like growing up with a famous quilt mom? Well, I would say that the assumption is that I started making quilts early on because mom was this quilt person and, and her life really was quilts from the time I was born. I mean, she really, she started making quilts and she and Liz Porter met when, before I was born. And so by the time I was born, she was already teaching and they were working on a book. Yeah. I think their first book came out in 82 or something like that. So, so quilts have always been a part of our lives. I have two sisters, one older and one younger and, and the assumption is that, yeah, that we were all quilting and so many quilting families exist, right? Where you have generations of quilt makers in the family. I'm looking at the state of Texas right now for a Quiltful project or the next issue of Quiltful. And one thing that's remarkable about Texas is like you have five generations of quilters sometimes in these families. It's just really interesting. Anyway, so, but my mom is a first generation quilter. I don't have quilt makers in my family beyond that. So, but when we were growing up, quilts were my mom's work it was what she did for work. And so we were super creative kids. I was writing poems and plays and singing in the choir and we were drawing and and all of that, but we didn't see quilt making as it wasn't her, it was her creative pursuit, but it was her, her job, right? Her profession, her career. And so it wasn't like, we didn't gravitate toward it. So I didn't learn how to make quilts until I learned literally on national television which was interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. I have a question about that later. So how do you think growing up with your mom in your life has influenced your quilting today? 
Mm-hmm. I am completely rebelling and I'm <laughs> be a rebel forever. I learned how to do all of this in the public eye. And I know we'll get to that part, yeah. but all of the quilts that I have, that I made in the beginning. And I, I just was so excited to make quilts when I first started. And I still am, I'm doing a lot more stuff in the quilt world. That is not quilt making, but all of the quilts that I was making were always for something. They were for the magazine or they were for the TV show because anything, and it was the same with my mom, anything that we produced was going to be content for the show. So I would make a quilt with half square triangles and then we could teach half square triangles on the show. And so it was always slated for something. So my, but my favorite quilts have always been and I didn't recognize it till later, but pictorial quilts. And my favorite quilts are quilts that are older before made before 1950 usually. And they have like animals and words on them. And the more sort of indeterminate the animal is like the more, if you see an animal on a quilt, on a pictorial quilt, and you can't tell if it's like a moose or a fox or a dog. I love that quilt. I love it. I love it. So applique pictorial quilts, but you can't do that on television, right? You can't, or or not on, not on love of quilting. There ought to be a new show. There ought to be a new show where you can, but I couldn't make quilts like that. I I didn't even consider making quilts like that because every kind of quilt I I made had to be pretty traditional. And I got my own, you know, flair in there with the different fabrics that I liked. And the modern quilters had an effect on me, not in design, but in fabric. There's a lot of solid black in my quilts, you know, mom, no way would never do that. But anyway, so today I, I make quilts that you cannot write patterns for my COVID quilt is all applique. It's pictorial. There are words on it. And yeah, I don't know. I I do miss some traditional patchwork, but, but I'm not, I'm not doing things the way I used to ever again. (laughs) Well, and there's such a strong legacy there from your mom, but it's really nice to see that you're taking your own path. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Okay. So where are you living now and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? Brandy, you're so good at this. I'm serious. You're good at it. It's lovely. So I am in Chicago right now. And I think Chicago will always be home. I grew up in Iowa, so I'm here. But my husband, I got married. Uh, we'll have our third anniversary in April. And I live with Eric. And he, his job took us to London last year. Well, it's 2022 now. So in 2019, took us there for about four months during the pandemic. It was very strange to be doing this stuff during a pandemic, but we're so, so very careful and paranoid about everything. But so, so people talk about like spending their COVID bucks, like their risk bucks. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to go to that uh, ho- holiday party. Okay. <laughs> that's all we're doing. And so it's like, well, are you going to go to the store? Okay. I'm going to go through. So we took like two international flights. That was it. And otherwise <laughs> we were like inside anyway. So we've been in London and, and, um, and then we went back. So we're kind of it sounds so like beyond bougie and gross, but we're like splitting our time between London and Shanghai. Like, <laughs> That's great. The nice. summer house and the winter yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And then there's Tuscany, but you know, we haven't been there in ages. But so, yeah, so we're kind of going back and forth right now. And yeah, and I just love my husband so much. I was married once briefly, disastrously years ago. Never thought I would do it again. I was single for, happily single for like well over a decade but then I met him in a bar and I married him four months later. I love him oh, so much. Oh that's my so great. I'm so glad you found your joy. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about your schooling. You went to art school. So where did you go and how did that education inform the quilting you do today? I, I did go to art school for grad school, but I have my degree in writing. So the School of the Art Institute is, is here in Chicago. And what's interesting about the Art Institute is a woman started it because she was teaching classes in art. And she started collecting art to teach the students with. 
And that's how the collection started with the school of the art Institute. So it was the school first. And so anyway, it's kind of cool, but the program is interdisciplinary. So they encourage like photography students to take painting. And so I'm in the writing program for grad school, but I was, I knew that I would be able to take textile classes and textile history seminars in that. And so that's what I wanted to do. And so I I went and I got my degree, my MFA in writing in 2018 and being in art school. I mean, it's super annoying sometimes (laughs) because I was editor of the school paper for a year of my time there. And you're working with undergrads who were like, I don't know, undergraduate art students are just a lot, but, but we love them. We love them. And so they, they inspired me too, because they're 20 years old and invincible. And that's kind of cool. It can be obnoxious, but they, but they have such their imagination and they're pushing the boundaries. And so just being in that environment, totally, I think it helped me understand that being an artist and doing your own thing, making your own kinds of quilts, it just reinforced the fact that that's good. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's so great. And so how did the conversation about quilting for a living begin? Because this is only just over a decade ago. So did you have a career and then make a transition into quilting? Yeah. Yes. I, I studied theater in my undergrad, got my theater degree and I came to Chicago. I made a list. I, I'll never forget it. It was a huge moment in life. I, I made a list uh, after I graduated from college at the university of Iowa, it was Chicago and New York. And many of my friends the year before who had graduated already went to New York and my sister lived there, my older sister. So I had a lot of reasons to go there. But when I had been to New York, there was something about it that just felt, it just felt like a razor. Like it was just hard. It was just like, it had teeth. And of course, New York is like that. You can make Mm -hmm. it there. You can make it anywhere. It's an intense place. And and I love New York. I love it. But there was something, I wasn't afraid of it. I just didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it enough to go there. And so, but I made a pro and con list and Chicago won, like Chicago and which Chicago is a fantastic theater town. And so I came to Chicago and, and I was doing theater. And, and before I started doing the Fonz and Porter gig, I was making my living as a freelance writer, um, just writing for textbooks and writing for this and that. And also I was making half my income as a performance artist for, which sounds crazy, but uh, the neo-futurists are a very prestigious group in Chicago. They've been an ensemble since 1982, and they, they do the longest running show here. And, and it's just a, a fabulous thing, this neo-futurist ensemble. And so I auditioned once, I didn't get in, but I auditioned again several years later when they were holding auditions again, and I got in. So I was making a living as a writer and a performer, and I was doing fine. But when they said, do you want to be on the show and we'll pay mom show and we'll pay you. I was like, oh yeah, well, yes, of course I will take the gig. I was taking gigs everywhere. And I was also doing performance poetry (laughs) and going on gigs, performing at colleges all over the country. So, so it was a gig that the quilting thing was a gig for me that took me in a different direction. One thing I really love is that you literally splashed yourself out there and learned to quilt on TV purposely. So that was a really bold move, but quilters loved it. How was that beginner journey for you out in the open? Not all quilters loved it. it. And, and I'm like, I'm the middle child. I'm just sensitive by nature. I mean, I cry every day. Like I'm, I usually, whether I'm trying like a joy, like I'm just overwhelmed by beauty. Cause I look at beauty all day. Cause I look at quilts all day or because something is so painful. Yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sensitive. And, and if you're really sensitive being in front of the camera, it's like not the best. You shouldn't probably do that, but life took me in this direction. So not everybody loved it, but some people did. And so you, when you asked me about the early days of it, 
I mean, I didn't really know what I was getting into. If mm-hmm. I had kind of an idea of it, I don't know, I might, I might not have. Um, Facebook, this was, this was like 20, oh, I mean, I think I did the first little thing with my mom in like 08, but I didn't really come back for a number of reasons and a couple of years later, but Facebook was kind of becoming a thing that a lot of people were using. And I went on the Fonz and Porter Facebook page once, one time in my life. <laughs> and, and I saw comments there that just devastated me, right? Because oh. people were like, I've been quilting for 30 years. I can't, you know, this Mary moves her hands too much. Like I don't need to learn. She's just riding her mother's coattails. Right. Which was like always my fear. I was like, Oh my God, I hope people don't think that. I mean, I have my own perspective. I'm on, I'm, I'm not my mother. And so it was terrifying to, to see that people, some people weren't into it, but, but there's two sort of really important things on the tail of that. One is that a lot of people did really like it that I was on because I was young. And so you had some people who were like, thank God there's a young person coming into quilting because most people think quilting is dying all the time. Oh, yeah. there's no quilters. They're not right. But I, I appreciate what they have to say about that. It's scary. So, so they were happy. And then there were the beginners out there who were like, I'm, I'm really glad Mary's asking like all these dumb questions because I have have the dumb questions. So if you watch the show, if you could speed it up from the time I started to the time that I left to go to grad school, you see the evolution of a quilter. It's so cool. I really learned how to do it. And I fell in love with it, like in front of everybody. So it's a very unique story. I'm not saying that it's extra special, but it's a very unique way to enter into this whole thing. Yeah. So during that time on that show, was there any real meaningful moments or a memorable quilt that meant the most to you? Any highlights? Yes. There was an electric moment with Jenny Dome. I love Jenny Dome. See, this is the time of day when I would cry, like this moment, right? (laughs) I would cry when I think about this because I've always loved Jenny Dome because the first time I met her, I was interviewing her. There was this very brief little series that Fonz and Porter did called Quilting with the Stars. We did like six episodes and I sat at this table on the Love of Quilting set and interviewed these quilters. And Jenny Doan was one of them. I had no idea that she was like Jenny Doan. I just didn't know yet. I was too green. I didn't know the names and stuff. Um, I knew the names, old school names. I knew Rod Kirikoff. I knew Paula Nadelstern. I knew Yvonne Porcello, these like, because that was my mom's peer group. But Jenny Doan came after. So, So I didn't know about her. And when I met her, I was like, I think this person is a big deal because she just, she's just, you can tell yeah. she's Jenny down. She carries herself. Like she's humble. She's awesome. She's warm. She's friendly, but she's Jenny down. So, so anyway, so I'm sitting at the table with her and she, you just don't forget the people who were kind to you in the beginning of, yeah. of anything. Yeah. And we were talking at that table, cameras are rolling. And like, I forget what it was, but we like, we bonded and she will say the same thing. We had this moment of understanding. And I think we were both tearing up. We were, I remember that. And we just like, we were like, hell yeah, like you're cool. And ever since then, like, I don't know. I mean, and I think Jenny knows it and we texted every once in a while. And, and I just, I just love her. And, and that was an electric moment for sure on the set. Yeah. Oh, and, and then the first time I ever hosted the show all by myself. Oh, exciting. So what was the first quilt you ever made? The first quilt I ever made was a doll quilt with my mom. I mean, it was like a a small child's quilt. That was the very, very first. It was dusty rose and like a really lame, 
indescribable blue that was around in like <laughs> 1985 or something. And it was tied and I remember it. And I wonder if my mom still has it. I kind of hope she does, but she gets rid of absolutely everything. So, so I don't know, but that was the very, very first. Oh, that's kind of cool. And is there a quilt in your world that holds a lot of meaning for you? Well, there are a few, but the one that just came to my mind, which is an unusual answer, but quilt history and looking at quilts in the popular culture is so interesting to me for so many reasons. And I have a reproduction of Harriet Power's Bible quilt. I have in in the 1990s, the Smithsonian Institute, you might know about this. Some some quilters know about it because it was a really big scandal. Most people know the Harriet Power's Bible quilt. You just saw it at the Fabric of Nation exhibit. So it's probably the most famous quilt in America, probably in the world. And the the MFA um, Museum of Fine Arts Boston has one of Harriet Power's quilts and the Smithsonian has the other one. And anyway, they did these replicas of like four of the quilts in their collection. They had replicas of these quilts made in China to sell in their gift shop. And it was like, not cool because they didn't pay anybody for the rights to use these quilts. They were made in China, which upset a lot of quilters because they couldn't tell if those people were being paid well enough. And also at that time, there was a really good business in the United States of finished quilts. Women would make quilts and sell them in quilt shops and stuff. It was a thing. It's not as much anymore at all, but it was. Anyway, so I have one of those Harriet Powers quilts. I found it on eBay one day and it was like 80 bucks. And I was like, buy now. So I have that one. And I have another, another one uh, of that series. I want to get all four, but it has special meaning for me because it's the first, I think it's the first quilt I got like that I bought that was not, it was like, this is because I know something about the story of quilts in America. And, and I know that, and this is really interesting and I and I want to use it and I've used it on our bed yeah oh that's really cool yeah (laughs) and I was so delighted because when I did go to the MFA in the fall I was able to see both quilts together because that was the first time they were together in history so that was really cool okay so if you dive into any of Mary's content online you can tell that she loves to write and if you're listening right now and you really want to dive into the real deal about Mary Fonz she has a blog called paper girl Mary, why did you start that blog and what will we find there? Well, you'll find that I haven't written in a while and that's like the lamest thing ever. (laughs) I have a blog, I haven't written in a while, but haven't, but I wrote that blog for, I mean, like 12 years or something. Mm -hmm. And I started it because (laughs) the other thing that's cringy about a blog is like, as soon as you tell somebody like I have a blog, well, even that is cringy, but then people are like, what's your blog about? And the truth is the blog is about my life. And, but the, the, it's about, it was always about my life, what I saw, what I did, things like that. But the, the big difference in paper girl and the reason that it succeeded, I had many readers. I, if I started it up again, I would, would again, just like a paper girl, like team, team paper girl, right? Like I had really yeah. dedicated readers and the, I, the reason that it was true I really cared about the blog, but I didn't write it for me. I wrote about my life, but I wrote it for other people. I have a journal and I've written, I write about a thousand pages a year in in my journals for many years. I've done that. And that's for me. That's writing for me. It's not for a public audience. It would be scandalous if people read it anyway. I keep two sets of books, Brandy. So, so there's the journal and that's me, but the blog was for everybody else. And so, so that it was a great joy for me. And and I, when I've tried to pick it up again, 
grad school interfered. I couldn't possibly do the work of school and do everything else. And I was still doing quilt gigs at the time, but I've tried to pick it up a couple of times since. And what's so difficult is writing has become so important to me. And I am so very particular about my writing now that a blog post takes too long. The, the writing's quite good. I'm very proud of the writing in Paper Girl, but I could dash something off and be happy with it. And, and, yeah. and these days I'm, I'm futzing with things too much. And it uh. just, it's just, I might as well write like an essay truly like a real one. Yeah. Well, going back through and pouring through the pages of Paper Girl blog, there's so much wonderful information. So I really recommend that you guys all go check it out. Another thing that I really admire is that you love to do stuff that's scary to you. So what's the story behind your Quilts Must Go On series on YouTube? The Quilts Must Go On is, it's like the little seedling of something that's I'm trying to trying to make it happen right now. The the Twitch show is like taking all the time, but you know, the quilts must go on. I mean, there's to me, there's, there's so much wonderful content about how to make quilts online. It's yeah. just fantastic, but there's not a lot about the other stuff about quilt history and, and art. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so interested in quilts that appear in, in art, like Sanford Bigger's work and like mm. just, just fascinating stuff. And, and there's no content about that. And I am real, I really know that stuff. I do. And it's like, well, I want to make these short videos about it because this is the world we live in. It's YouTube and I want to share it. So what will we find on your YouTube channel? Give us a little overview of why we should go there. Well, you will find mostly, you'll find a lot of the episodes of Quilt Nerd. When I do my live stream show, I upload all of the episodes to YouTube and Quilt Nerd is my joy. It is my joy. It is my little, it is my little baby. You got a new puppy. It's like my puppy. Like yeah. right now it's my new puppy. And so Twitch is um, a platform for video gamers primarily. If anybody's heard of Twitch, that's what they think of as video games. People live stream, it's a live streaming platform and mostly video game players use it, but not all, it's not all video gamers. My husband and I like this particular journalist and we learned that this journalist had a, a Twitch channel and we were like, what? So we went and we watched this person on Twitch and what she did, what she does is she live streams her research basically. She turns on the camera and she has the chat rooms going, you know, she'll have a couple hundred people in there who also like her and she's watching videos with people, right? There's this dialogue going back and forth. She'll click through something that she found the other day. They'll just, just discussing it. And it's mesmerizing. It's so interesting. And it's this different format and you don't get different formats very often. Podcasts are, thank God they came along and, and of course YouTube came along and things, but this live streaming video thing is very compelling to me. And the thing is, is that I, I look when I'm researching for lectures, when I'm researching for Quilt Folk Magazine, I'm researching for documentary uh, project, I'm researching for, you know, articles and all kinds of things. I'm, I'm looking at quilt stuff all day and it's so interesting. And I'm not looking at how to stuff at all. I, yeah. I, not at all. I'm looking at quilts in culture. I'm looking at quilts in museums and not just quilt shows, but when quilts show up in these different places, quilts in fashion. And I find the most wonderful things and, and only so much can end up in a lecture. I mean, a lecture at QuiltCon is 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I realized it, in, it was in July. I was like, I'm going to live stream my research. I'm going to, I'm going to turn that camera on and get a bunch of people in this room and I'm going to show them what I'm finding and we can talk about it. Yeah. And so I started, I think tonight I'm doing the 80th episode. So 
it, the shows are the shows are from two hours to three hours. I went three hours the other other night, and that's typical for live streaming. And I start chatting with people. There's always a quilt behind me on the green screen. And that's what I start with. That's what the show sort of starts with content wise. And I have like a few things lined up, right? Like we'll talk about the Welsh quilt centers. Fabulous. It's an amazing place in Wales. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. And so, and so I'll bring that stuff to the show and it's not a presentation. That's important. It's not a presentation I discover with them online. So I'll give you these buckets of information. We looked at Turkey Red the other day and I just, I just gathered stuff. Barbara Brackman had said about Turkey Red and we looked at beautiful quilts and talked about this dye that everybody knows about, but nobody really knows about. So, and the community is growing. It's really exciting to see it. I mean, all of the people who watch my show almost did not have Twitch or care about Twitch before because the cultures are not. And some people ask me, why don't you just do it on YouTube? And I, I multi-stream to YouTube, but I'm tired of YouTube. I've been on YouTube. I I mean, I like YouTube and we're all doing stuff there, but Twitch is built for live streaming. It's Mm -hmm. that's what it was built for and the functionality of it and the way that it works. I just really like it. And so I'm bringing the quilters to Twitch one by one to do this. But the one other thing I'll say about it is quilts are so much more than just pretty blankets. They Mm -hmm. are a pathway to everything I want to know about. I'm curious about everything. I want to know about philosophy and art. And I want to know about history and women's history and the history of people who couldn't write their stories down on a piece of paper. You know, quilts are our heritage and I love it. And if you look at a quilt made in the 1960s in Jeesben, Alabama, I mean, this is a very short leap to talking about op art in New York city in in the 1960s. So it's like, it, it will take you absolutely absolutely everywhere in history, a quilt, one quilt will take you there. And that's what quilt nerd is about. We just, we just explore and nerd out on quilts for hours. I love it. Three times, three times a week. Okay. So tell us how, how can we catch on to that? How can we get on Twitch and watch you? So Amazon bought Twitch a few years ago. So Twitch is totally safe. It's like, Oh, Twitch, what is this video games? Ah, Amazon bought Twitch. And so you can use your Amazon membership. So that can be your login, but you go to twitch.tv slash yo, Mary Fonz. That's what people always said to me and growing up, yo, Mary Fonz. So twitch.tv slash yo, Mary Fonz. And, and if you don't have a Twitch login, whatever, use your Amazon thing and Amazon prime. If you're a member of Amazon prime, it's cool. They give you one free Twitch subscription every, uh, every month. So you can subscribe free to my show with Amazon Prime and you don't have to watch ads and you get special emoticons you can use during the show and it's fun. So yeah, twitch.tv slash yo Mary Fonz. It is so much fun. The chat room is like the best. These people are amazing. They're so nerdy. Oh my God. I love them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So speaking of history, I want to continue that conversation. You have volunteered on the board of the International Quilt Museum. You love to tie things to history. So tell us about that. Well, Like I was saying with one quilt taking you wherever you want to go, places you didn't anticipate, it's really true. And and I think our quilt heritage in America, it's really important. One of the, the problems about being really curious about everything is like, where do you start? Like, I want to know about history, but like, what am I going to go just like read a history textbook? Like, oh, I want to know all that stuff, but it's hard to know where to start. And in publishing and writing in journalism, certainly the first question your editor is going to ask you is like, what's your angle? You know, like I'm going to write about this person in history. I'm going to write about Thomas Jefferson. It's like, okay, what's your angle? Because you can't just write about Thomas Jefferson. It'll be really boring if you do that. So what's your angle for the story? So quilts are my angle 
for the whole world. Quilts are the way that I can access all these interesting things because if I look for a quilt in a place or I find a quilt that was made in a place, that's my entry point. It's like, I can tell you all about this quilt, everything we know, everything we don't know, what the world was like when the person made it, who might've made it. If we have the provenance, we can talk all about the person who made that quilt. And that's the way in. So quilts are their memory, their family, their comfort, they're all those things, but they're also just really badass. <laughs> they're just like, they're so, and they're hard to pin down. I love quilts. They're shapeshifters. One second they're in a museum and the next minute they're, they're at the foot of the bed because you didn't make the bed. It's like, there's very few things that are quite that changeable. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, so is there some kind of a collaboration or humanitarian project or anything that you're really proud of being a part of? Well, you mentioned I'm on the board of the International Quilt Museum and I'm on the advisory board. And the quilt museum is special. They have over 6,000 quilts and it's like church for quilts. It's so important. They collect quilts from all over the world. International is part of their name and they care for them. They're a collecting museum. Obviously I said they have over 6,000 quilts, but a lot of museums don't, they aren't collecting museums. They exhibit things, but the quilt museum collects these quilts. So they are maintaining them and uh, keeping them safe, stewarding them for the next generation. And so being a part of that, like, I'm just glad they keep asking me back. I'm just like, yeah. I, really, I get to do this again. <laughs> Thank you. It must be so fun to be in there where they keep the quilts and see a drawer open or something come out that you've never seen before that people don't generally get to see unless it's oh, in yeah. a show. Yeah, totally. The drawers are, that's hot. That's like, oof, wow. <laughs> okay. Let's continue a little bit more with your story. So after filming the show with your mom, you said you went back to school. So let's go from there. How did you get from school back into quilting? Quilt Folk magazine. Mm-hmm. Quilt, what, a, what a great segue. Cause it's Quilt Folk that sort of picked me up as school was setting me down. Mike McCormick is sort of like my brother from another mother kind of deal. Definitely. And he started this magazine, Quilt Folk, in 2016. And if people haven't seen Quilt Folk or don't know about it, it's a quarterly magazine. A lot of people say it's a book. It's a book that comes out four times a year and it does feel like a book. There are no ads in Quilt Folk magazine. And the model is every issue focuses on quilters and quilts and the quilt culture of one state or one region. So Texas, it's just going to be West Texas to start, right? I think what was the other one? North Florida, because states are really big and there's a lot going on. So we're going to split them up sometimes, but each issue is a different state or region. And I was in grad school when I saw the first issue, which was Oregon. That's where Mike is. And Mike, by the way, he's not who you'd think would do something like this just by looking at him and looks are, you know, deceiving and we shouldn't really judge anybody by them. But he, he was, I think 33 when he started Quilt Folk and he used to play baseball, a minor league baseball. And he's just sort of like, he's kind of like this iconoclastic guy and, and so cool. Just one of the best people I've ever met. And anyway, he started this thing and my friend Heather showed me the first issue because she bought it. And I'll never forget. I was in her, her sewing studio slash basement den. And I picked it up and I was like, this is never going to work. I was like, there, there's no patterns in it. Cultures want patterns. They're not going to stand for this. And, and I was like, I mean, it's beautiful, but like, it's not going to work. And then they went to Iowa next and my mom called and I forgot about it. I kind of did. I was in grad school. Like I had a lot to do. And then mom's like, 
Mary, this magazine, Quilt Polk, is going to come and interview me. And or maybe she called me like, I met the people who were here for Quilt Polk, the photographer and, and Mike, and they were wondering if you'd ever be interested in in writing for the magazine. And I was like, it's a gig. Again, I've been gigging my whole life. So I was like, maybe. And actually they asked me if I could come to Iowa for my mom's photo shoot. And I was like, oh, I can't make it. I mean, I really, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I was doing a gig. I just really couldn't, but I was like, oh, how ironic. Anyway, so, so Mike and I had a conversation and it was great. And he asked me if I wanted to come to Tennessee with them uh, for issue four. And I was like, yeah, because what Quilt Pope does, I mean, you get a writer and a editor, producer, and a photographer in a car. And of course she set up the stories beforehand, but you get it and you go on a trip and it's like a 10 day trip and you're traveling all over the, the state and getting pictures. If people have seen Cool Folk, our photography is, I mean, it's, there's my second moment of like crying today. I mean, it's so beautiful. The photographers are like, oh God, these women are so amazing. And so we focus on the stories of people. And so you get to go, if you're involved in cool folk, you go to these places and you interview these people in their home and you're taking their picture. So I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like, this is all right. And I met one of my heroes, Mary Kay Waldvogel, this cult scholar. And so I like to say I clawed my way up the corporate ladder because on issue five, I was editorial advisor and issue six, I was, I don't know, like editor and then I was editor in chief by issue seven, because I, I was like, well, this is my jam. It's writing, it's, it's styling photography, and it's telling these beautiful stories of nonfiction stories. I've never written fiction. It's always nonfiction. And so that's cool. Folk. And, and that's what, that's how I got back into the, that's how they pulled me back into. Oh, clothing. that is so great. And of course, is there a website for that? Oh yeah. Yeah quiltfolk.com. And the price is higher than other quilt magazines. But the reason, like as soon as you hold quilt folk, you know why it's 164 pages, beautiful matte paper, gorgeous photography, and no ads. And that's the the game changer. Yeah. I love that. So what's the most fun you've had on a magazine shoot? It's funny because I think well, God, with the laughter in the car. I mean, we just, oh my God, so much fun, so much shouting, so much laughter, so much art making and, and moments of connection. It's hard to say, but I will say that there was a moment with Meg Cox. She's a pretty magical person. She's so wonderful, but we went to Michigan and for issue eight and we took two trips there. So, but the first trip, it was just me and Meg and one of our two brilliant photographers, Melanie Zacek. And we went to see Gwen Marston and Gwen Marston, while she was living, lived on Beaver Island. So we had to take a jumper plane over to the island. And I mean, I had never met Gwen Marston. So I was like, I'm so happy I get to do this. But then we like got to the airport pad, landing pad, airfield, whatever. And we get into this plane and then we're flying over like Michigan or whatever lake it is, (laughs) whatever lake it is. And Melanie's taking pictures and I'm with Meg and the pilot there. And then we land and we get in Gwen Marson's there to meet us. And she has this beat up red pickup truck because of course, and then, and Meg and I get in the back of the pickup truck and Melanie's in the cab with Gwen and she drove us to her house and, and Gwen Marston passed away, I think within like a year of that, but like being in that plane with Meg and being able to meet Gwen Marston, it's a gift to, to have had that experience. That was, but there's so many, there's so many. Yeah. Okay. So I, 
wanted to talk just briefly about London because I know you've been back and forth a little bit in the last couple of years. I went on a family holiday once in my life to London in 2002 when my child was five months old. So I carried him around. We absolutely loved it. But so living there a little bit back and forth, is there anything that's happened there that's kind of inspired your quilting along the way? Yeah. I mean, London's really old. It's so old. And that's what I like about it. It's just, it's seen it all. It's seen pandemics come and go. It will go. This pandemic will go. It, they come and they go. And London has seen it. It's seen wars, the Blitz, the Romans, like it's been there. And that makes me feel com- comforted because yeah. America, we're so new and we're like, but London's like, it's fine. Just, it's just kind of like, I mean, we have, you have buildings there that have been, that were built in 1500. It's, and the Roman wall is still there. It's insane. So I think what London has done for me creatively or whatnot, is just, it just reminds me that like life is really short. You should really be yourself. You should definitely be yourself because it doesn't matter. Like, and, and, and in a good way, we don't matter. We are here. We are gone. You're not that special bonds. You're not that you are so special, but you're not. So yeah. do you just God, I mean, don't worry about it. Cause nobody knows how to do anything. Everybody is a total disaster. Even if they say they're not at we're, we're total disasters. Everybody is pretending to be adults and we don't know what we're doing. And London, <laughs> London, seriously. And London reminds me of that. It's like, Oh, forget it. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Do your, do what you want to do. It'll be over before you know it. And that's okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. That was like the perfect little inspirational rant. I love it. Okay. So I always love to talk about this with all my guests. What kind of studio space do you have? And is it different in, of course it's different, but in Chicago and London, what did you do in London when you needed to quilt or make something? Did you have a space there as well? I don't have a dedicated space. The office right now is where I do the Twitch show. So there's lights set up and microphones and stuff like that, like you got right now, right? And so so I, I don't have a dedicated space there. Here in Chicago, I have a sewing machine that I can use at the end of this table down there. And I've got fabric here. But in London, I do not have a sewing machine. I thought I might get one for Christmas, but I did not. That's fine. It's that's totally okay because in London, I'm doing handwork, more applique, and that takes no space. So the sewing basket still works, the needle and thread still works, and yeah. the little and I didn't have fabric, so the London Modern Quilt Guild took pity on me and they sent me a whole bunch of scraps. I was like, oh man, like I could really use some fabric, and so they came through. So I have fabric that the London Modern Quilt Guild gave me. And it's amazing how much I've been able to do with it. I mean, I'm doing some hand piecing now and, and it's sort of necessity is the mother of invention, right? I don't have a sewing machine, so I want to sew. So I made my friend, Sophie had a baby and I made the baby quilt entirely by hand, entirely by hand, the, the blocks I used a charm pack. So just the squares were ready for me. That was awesome. So I sewed those together and then I it made an alphabet quilt and I just cut out the letters by hand and sewed them down. It's so awesome. It's like my favorite quilt ever. It's, it's yeah. great. And I don't use a template. I just cut it out by hand because it doesn't matter. And yeah. the quilts that show that hand, the, the quilts that are imperfect, everybody loves those quilts the most. Mm-hmm. If they're honest, everybody does. And I think it's the Fonz and Porter thing too. 
that I was in this hot house, right? I was under this, in this pressure cooker. I mean, the quilts that people love the most are the kind of weird ones, the busted mm-hmm. ones, the ones that aren't perfect, but the commercialization of the quilt industry. And mom has copped to the fact that she and Liz were part of that. Mm-hmm. There's so much, there's magazines and shows and all this stuff. And everything on those shows has to be perfect. It has to be, it makes sense that it has to be. They're trying to do best practices, but it infected everybody with this idea that you have to make quilts with this particular fabric line and you have to make quilts from this teacher teaches this. So I'm going to learn this and it's cool. It's fine, but we've lost some soul. I spent all my time looking at quilts that came before. Trust me, we've lost some soul. And so I try to make quilts with soul. Yeah. It's nice to get this little glimpse into your creative process. Mm -hmm. So would you, I mean, would you categorize yourself as a certain type of quilt or vintage, scrappy, modern, contemporary? No, I would just say I'm, and I'm not trying to plug the show. I'm a quilt nerd. I'm a nerd for it. I just love thinking about quilts and thinking about what they can do. And so in my quilting, when I'm making a quilt, it's all going to be influenced by something I just saw or something that I think should come back, like animals that are completely unidentifiable and letters that, that are hand cut and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So of course you've been known to teach in lectures. So how did your teaching scene change over the pandemic? And are you teaching now? I can't ever teach another half square triangle tutorial in my life. <laughs> I will never do it. I mark my words. I will. And let, okay. I will do it if I need to, if in person, if somebody wants to learn how to make a quilt, totally, totally teach them how that would be amazing. I would love to do that actually. Uh, especially if it's like a youth, but no more on TV Mm -mm. Uh, or on the internet or, or in, in person, the last class I taught was at QuiltCon in 2017 patchwork. And I just, I don't do it. So I lecture and I share all of this, this stuff that I know, and I'm still discovering. I know very little of course, but what I do know I share. So I've been lecturing on zoom a fair amount and, and it's cool. It, the pandemic has like brought its gifts, right? Because I've been in Canada a lot, actually the Canadian quilters having me out there. So I'm standing on chairs, holding up quilts in the trunk show. It's ridiculous, but it's also kind of fun. I just love that people are still doing it, you know? Yeah, it's so great. And the talks that you do are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the, the range of talks you do. I know some are about history. Mm-hmm. So tell us. Well, so the lecture that I give to guilds mostly is, what is it called? Mary Fonts Trunk Show Extreme Pandemic Edition or something like that. <laughs> but I have six quilts that take you through at least 20th century quilt history. I have a quilt that was made in like the 1960s. It's very interesting. I have a quilt by Georgia Bone Steel that I purchased and that is exquisite. So I have six different quilts and I talk about the context for each one of them after I show them. And so far, I mean, of course you don't hopefully hear from the people who are like, we hated it. But most of the feedback that I get from the people who put these things together were like, the guild loved it. They were so excited. It was so different, right? And they loved hearing about the history. And I think that it's true. People don't, they don't get that other stuff. I don't want to just talk about like the book I wrote. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. You got to do that. I don't mean to, 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 it's totally cool. Whatever people are doing, it's so important. We are a community. It's important, but there's this, all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to share this with you. Get this, get a load of this. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So sometimes I ask this question and my guest says it's like picking their favorite child, or they end up mentioning a bunch of people, but (laughs) who have been your quilting mentors along the way? Well, Jenny Doan, I mentioned, it's just like a important person. Of course, my mom. I mean, my mom taught me how mostly I learned from different people on the show, but of course my mom, 
is always, and she's a wonderful quilt maker. She's amazing. She's really good. So, so her, um, Mary Kay Waldvogel is a quilt scholar who she's, I would say Mary Kay Waldvogel and then Barbara Brackman too. And these are both well, Mary Kay doesn't really make quilts, but Barbara Brackman is an, an amazing quilter. And she's the, the woman who wrote the Encyclopedia of Pieced Quilt Patterns, so many books. And these women are our mentors. Yeah, the scholars, Betts Ramsey. But you said, yeah, I could name so many. Most people want to name so many. But I would say if I had to just ha- do a few, I would say four people. My mom, Jonathan Holstein, the collector and writer, Mary Kay Waldvogel, and Jenny Doan. Okay. So this question, before we get into the break, I love to ask this question of every single guest in your quilting world. What brings you the most joy? Doing the show quilt nerd. That's what That's it is so right now. Yeah. And I did tune into one of them already because I was so excited to find out about Twitch and it was so much fun. The thing I love about it the most is that it is so real and just happening as you speak and that people are just they're almost commenting so fast. You can hardly keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Yeah. I'm so glad you tuned in. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. I wanted to figure out what that was all about. Cool. Okay. So right now we're going to do a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about how Mary dabbled in fabric design and some of her favorite quilty travels. We'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Now I recently started having advertisers on my podcast, which is so exciting. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of my past advertisers in a hat and I'm going to draw one. So they get a free ad because they've supported me in the past. So here goes drum roll, please. I'm actually doing a drum roll. That's kind of hilarious. And the winner is Fabric Spark. Oh, this one's from Toronto. And I love Daryl. She's awesome. So here is the Fabric Spark commercial. Fabric Spark, Canada's best online fabric store. Find the trendy new fabric of your dreams in person at our store Monday through Saturday on Danforth Avenue in Toronto, or shop online 24 hours a day. We carry quilting cottons, fabric for kids, garment fabric, knits, flannel, linens, and imported fabric by the best designers in the world. And we ship all over North America. We love the opportunity to help people make things, whether you're just learning to sew or you are a pro, we hope you find inspiration and a spark in our store. Find us today at fabricspark.com. Happy sewing and remember to do something creative every day. Fabric Spark, Canada's best online fabric store. This August, I am hosting a trip to England and Wales to see the Birmingham Festival of Quilts and so much more. The itinerary is amazing, but I'm not just taking you to some big old quilt show. You are going to meet friends who have the same passion as you, or you could even invite a friend and make it a well-deserved getaway with your bestie. You'll be traveling in a group which feels safe and secure. It will all be perfectly planned for you, so you just have to show up with a smile each day. You'll be making memories to last a lifetime. I really hope you'll join me. Go to quilteronfire.com slash events or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to find out more and book your trip today. Okay. 
So we are back. And Mary, so you designed a line of fabric. So who is that for? And what was it like to design your first line of fabric? Well, it was fun. It was very brief. And I mean, if for a minute there, it seemed like a lot of people were coming out with fabric lines and part of it was like, I want to play too, except that, you know, I'm not an artist. I can't do that, but I'm a quilt nerd. And so Springs Creative in South Carolina They've been spring made mills. I mean, they have been a company in America, in the United States for a very long time. Down in the South, a textile mill, it's a long and storied history, not always pleasant, but they, they have an archive called the Baxter Archive. And it is an archive of, I mean, how, how many years does it go back? I mean, they've found fabric swatches in this archive. So it's a fabric swatch archive from, you know, the 1700s, a couple, not many, but, they, but mostly, I mean, they've been producing and the Baxter Mill was producing fabric for so long. And every fabric has a fabric swatch that's been kept on a card. Yeah. And so you can go, I mean, the public can't go, but you know, if you're working with Springs, you can go and, and sift through the archives, drawer after drawer after uh-huh. drawer, like a card catalog of all these fabric swatches from like 1802, from 1925 and all this. So Susan, my contact there is so wonderful. She was like, I think I have a project for you, Mary Fon. You know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. So the idea for small wonders from the start. So I, I love small scale prints because I make scrap quilts. So I like tiny stuff because I cut it up. If you have a large scale print and you cut it up, yeah. you lose the integrity of the print. It's like, oh no. So I like small scale stuff. And so uh, small wonders was to be all small scale prints and they would all be reproduction from the past. But I mean, the first line was, I really liked it. The second line I kind of had, I mean, it's totally fine. Me and Springs are totally cool, but I had less creative control over it. I felt like it wasn't quite, wasn't quite there. I thought, and I was doing so many other things too. So we didn't do another after that first year and that's okay. That's okay. We won the booth award at at (laughs) market. So (laughs) that year, so that was great. But I mean, that's, I loved making the fabric. I I would love to do it again, frankly, but not for a, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I really want to talk about quilt travel with you because you've obviously traveled all over North America with quilt folk, but what are some other places you've traveled to lecture in the quilting world? Well, I mean, I've only been in Canada and I've only been in North America. I mean, I've lectured for people in the UK, but over zoom, but so far that's where I've been. Yeah. Well, that's great. And have you been to Birmingham quilt festival since you've been? Yes. I can't wait to go. I'm going to go for the first time. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And do you have any big travel plans yet for 2022? So, I mean, I want to go to Paris. I mean, I want to go to Paris. I want to go to Paris, but we haven't. So maybe in 2022, if the pandemic eases enough, we'll feel confident and it will be responsibly. It'll be okay to to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah. This is like the land of the Baltimore album quilt. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, I don't know if I was tired. I don't know. I was not drunk, but you would think that I was. I said, I told a story. I was like, Liz Porter, everybody loves Baltimore album quilts. But one time Liz Porter said, okay, so now we are going to get into something called the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. So are you ready? I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Okay. So what is your favorite notion? It's hard to pick one, isn't it? <laughs> I, know, I really want it to be right. Let's see. Hold on. My favorite notion. Those classic tomato pin cushions. Oh, that's such a great answer. <laughs> okay. And have you ever had a seriously embarrassing moment in public in your quilting world? 
are you ready for this? Yes. (laughs) I was in Maryland years ago. Oh my God. I'm basically talking to, I'm in the cradle of the Baltimore album quilt. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I don't know if I was tired. I don't know. I was not drunk, but you would think that I was. I said, I told a story. I was like, you know, Liz Porter, you know, everybody loves Baltimore album quilts. But one time Liz Porter said, you know, if I see another Baltimore album quilt, I'm going to (laughs) puke. It's like, yeah. And I shared the story because it was kind of like humanizing Liz Porter at one point in my story, but it it got no laughs. And I was like, "Hmm." and then I mean, someone came up to me later and they were like, this is like the famous Baltimore, like I think Mimi Dietrich was her name. And she was like in the audience and she, and that was horrified. I, I said earlier, like everyone's a disaster. No one knows anything. So because of that, I don't get embarrassed too often, but I was really, I felt so, because it was disrespectful and I didn't, I just, oh yeah, dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb. Okay. Next question is how are you inspired to choose color for your quilts? I like scrap quilts, but too many scrap quilt, too many scraps is too much. So my mom and I always say, if you're making a scrap quilt, that's super scrappy. And I like to, the, the phrase, if it's scrappy, I'm happy. That's good. One. People can use that any, wherever they want. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. If it's scrappy, I'm happy. But if you have a lot of fabrics, make sure each fabric has a friend. So if you have a, a fabric that has a little yellow polka dot, just yeah. even a little bit of yellow, make sure one other, just even one other fabric has a little bit of that yellow in it. And if you have a friend for each one of those colors, you will have some cohesion. So I, I make sure they have friends, but I also also slow down any scrap quilt I have with solids. So like I'll put a solid sashing or, or a solid border or something, or with a half square triangle, it'll be all kinds of different pink scraps, but a navy blue, half navy blue solid, and then a million different pinks. Great. So that'll, yeah, that makes it, slows it slows down the eye for you yeah okay great now you already mentioned that you made that adorable quilt with your mom but have you ever made a quilt or quilty item for your mother (laughs) no and now I have to do that (laughs) (laughs) what's crazy don't tell her I've never even thought of that is that nice? better make her a pin cushion oh my something. god wow that's so heavy oh my god i need to like i'll talk to my therapist and then i'll do it <laughs> maybe yeah, like, that's one of the first questions that came to mind when i was thinking about this podcast it's a great question how do you make a quilt for terrible. such an icon right yeah. yeah god okay do you have any quilty collections of any kind Yeah, I have a few quilts that are these, you know, mass produced. It's weird, but these mass produced Smithsonian, I've got a couple of those quilts. I've got a quilt made by the the Mountain Artisans in the 60s, which is a really interesting story. And then I just got a Cabin Creek Quilters quilt, which was a thing in the 80s. It's a whole thing. I won't go into it, but a Cabin Creek quilt and it's still got the tag on it. So I have a very weird collection, but it makes me happy. Okay. And let's see, what's the next question? What is something quilters might not know about you at all? I am a successful matchmaker. I have told people who were on, they they were seeing someone and they were like, I don't know. I really like him, but I'm not sure. And I've been like, he's got He's good. He's good. Or this person is really, I'm a successful matchmaker. I've got like five successful things that I like coaxed along. And these people are married and they're happy, including my sister and my amazing brother-in-law, Jack. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a new career, a new side gig for you. (laughs) And I always know when someone got got a haircut with, I always know I'm like, you got a haircut. 
And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I did. I always can tell. That is so good. Okay. Well, that is it for the lightning round, Robin. Thank you so much for braving the lightning round, Robin. So I want to mention your website. It's maryfons.com. But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you online? Twitch.tv slash yo Mary Fons. That's the quilt nerd show. And if you click on the schedule tab, when you're there on my channel page, you'll see when I'm live next. And that's always the best way to check. But right now I do a show three times a week, same time every week. I go on Tuesday nights at 7 PM central. Okay. Thursdays at 11 AM central. And then Saturday nights, Saturday night live, 8 PM central. Okay. And we have a lot of Instagram lovers who follow this show. So what is your Instagram handle? And what do you have there? What kind of stuff do you feature there? It's Yo Mary Fons, just Instagram, Yo Mary Fons. And I have historical quilts. So I'll put up some awesome historical quilts there. I do some giveaways and I do some pictures from my life from London, from Chicago. And yeah, I've been posting a little bit more lately and, and it's good. I like Instagram. Yeah. You know what photos I love the most of you? I love it when you're kind of like, I don't know, you do this like fly by the seat of your pants on the street photos, like you're in the rain mm. or something, or you're yeah. just like, Hey, here I am in the world. And it's kind of cool. It's, it's really spontaneous. And I love that. So, okay. Now I'm going to mention this week's contest giveaway. This is so great. You guys, Mary is going to give away three different issues of Quilt Folk magazine. So one lucky winner will receive that right on their doorstep. So remember how to sign up for that. The link will be in my newsletter and the contest opens Tuesday when the podcast airs and it's open for five days. You can sign up every day for the contest and it, we do the giveaway on the Sunday. So thank you so much. That is such a generous prize, Mary. Thanks. Absolutely. Quilt Folk is an, a, a magical thing. And I hope everybody, I hope the winner enjoys it. And I know, I know they will. Yeah. Three issues. That's awesome. Okay. So now as we wrap up, Mary, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I would say that you don't have to ever look at quilt history. You don't ever have to be a quilt nerd, quote unquote. You don't you don't have to do any of that to love quilt making and to enjoy quilting and to have it be your whole life. You don't have to do anything other than just stitch and feel it and make your quilts and enjoy it. But if you look a little bit and the way that people can look is a lot of, there's a lot of quilt history books out there. State documentation projects, Canada did amazing documentation projects in the eighties and nineties. If you pull one of those books off the shelf or you get one from your guild library, whatever, you will connect even more. I believe I've seen it over and over connect even more with your heritage. We, anytime you make a quilt, you are part of this legacy. And if you look a little bit closer at who came before and who, you know, the stories that, that happened before you or happened around you when you weren't even paying attention, it makes it even better to just have that context. And that's what I love the most. And I hope people get excited about that if they listen to this podcast and, and heard what I was talking about. Oh, thank you so much for that. Now that was so fun. I just loved having you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Brandy. So that was my show with Mary Fonz. Having just listened to this episode, you know now why I have been delighted by her personality, her demeanor, and her content again and again. She is so engaging and just for real. I love it when you meet a person and you just feel like they just get it instantly. I really recommend that you check out Quilt Folk Magazine and her blog, Paper Girl, on her website at maryfonz.com. 
Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I would be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do for a small creator is to introduce them to your friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.